listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. All right, today we are in a summary and conclusion of our journey through the letters of John. If you remember when we started John, the Gospel of John, John would talk about these ideas of, of love and light and darkness and how Jesus came into the world where the rest of the world uh, tried to overcome him only for him to, to, to overthrow the powers that be uh, in by way of the spiritual world at that time and then later, as you know, what happened to the Roman Empire and some other things. Christ came and he developed his, his kingdom. And then John moves to the letters that we've just talked about. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about things that, and, and that are very practical things that a church like ours should be thinking about. We've talked about ideas of, of how personally we should share life or learn to share life with God, develop a friendship with God, that God's not a God up there just waiting for us to, uh, out of duty, obey Him, but He really wants a relationship with us, and we walk in that, and we share life with God through prayer and the Word. He talked about the idea of, of in, in the church even, uh, how do we keep from dividing as churches? We confront one another. We love each other enough to hold each other accountable. All these things that He's talked about are things that are necessary for us in practical ways as individuals, but also as a church like ours. And today is really going to be talking to a church very similar to Chelsea Presbyterian Church here uh, in this second uh, John. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Second John 1, 4 through 11. If you do not have your Bibles, of course, as always, for your convenience, the passage is in the order of worship. So let's read that today. <coughs> John says here, he says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though as I was writing you a new commandment, but the one that we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such as one the deceiver and the antichrist, watch yourself so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but win a your reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching of both the Father and the Son, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, open our eyes today as we look at your word that's without error. Help us to read your word. Help us to understand the power of your word, that we need that in our lives so that we can see you. In Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned this before to you guys, and we've talked about this at different times. We talked about the fifth anniversary and some other things, and that is, by way of the current estimates, four out of five church plants like ours fail in five years. That's the percentage. Only 20% of churches like us make it to the five-year mark. And that's a staggering amount of failures. And all I can say is, first of all, thanks 
be to God for that we've gotten this far. I mean, um, you know, it, it's not exactly a smoke and mirrors church, and you don't exactly have the most charismatic pastor in the world. Uh, and we're not established by church yet. I mean, we're not out of the woods yet. Um, and so it would be wise for us all to think about church plants and why they fail. Um, and it's only the grace of God, like I said, that we've gotten to this point. But there's, there's several reasons. First of all, let me give you a few. First is obviously uh, financial, and we'll talk about that another day, but we've had a lot of blessings outside of our church uh, by people that have donated to our church, uh, donors in both churches and individuals that have helped us. Uh, and churches like ours, you know, eventually have to get to the point where they're self-supportive. But like I said, that's, that's one reason. Another two reasons, and really this is what we're going to talk about today, that John kind of hits on here. First of all, another reason that churches fail like ours is they kind of lose their focus. Church planters like me begin to get, get uh, desperate or, or scared or stressed out or even, even get an ego. And they begin to do things that are not biblical or, or their sermons become reactionary instead of just walking through books of the Bible in a very peaceful way. Instead of the vision and mission that, that God may have for a church like ours, a church planter, the leader, may come in and instead of saying what, God, what, what the Bible says about the matter, they begin to talk about their own agenda. And then the second thing is uh, conflicts that divide the church. Anybody that's been around churches for a while know that most of the churches that you see that have come about have not been by multiplication, but have been by division. Uh, you know, people all the time, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, they're like, man, people were talking about church plants. They're like, they said they had 10 church plants from that church. Those are not church plants. Those are church plants. You know, <laughs> they split. Uh, that's what happened. We were driving through, uh, 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 we went up to Huntsville over the weekend and we were driving back the long way around and you know, you see these small churches and they have like three or four churches that are the same denomination. You're like, yeah, I know what happened there <laughs> in that. But conflict's always gonna be a part of that. We talked about it last week. If you haven't in some way been offended or resentful or hurt a little bit by somebody in this room, you're not sharing life to the depth that Jesus wants us to share life. If we don't have conflicts, we're probably not being honest with each other or real with each other in the way we talked about. The Bible is very specific about confrontation. And again, if you didn't look at last week's sermon, we talked about that very specifically. Because there's a way to handle conflict that leads to harmony and life. Uh, and there's a way that leads to uh, resentment and frustration that leads to division in the churches. Churches, it happens all the time. Church plants fail all the time because of that. Both of these problems are, have been addressed in John's letter. And let me remind you today, John's talking to these newer churches that have come about after Jesus left in these different areas that are facing a lot of challenges. Some of them are, are facing false teachers. Some of them are facing uh, persecution uh, in, in different ways. Uh, some, some of them are persecution from the Jews. Some of them from the Romans. Uh, they're, they're going through a big time. And there's about to be, it's about to be worse. But all that to say that we are the type of church that John's talking about here. We're still trying to figure out what our church is going to be or what it should be. Which makes all of us in this room, including me, vulnerable. Vulnerable to failure. Vulnerable to fail financially. Vulnerable to be prone to division. And possibly susceptible to even losing our vision and mission of why we even started the church in the first place. But take heart, 
John's going to help us today, so let's see what he has to say. We're going to look at the three points that are in the uh, order of worship in the sermon outline. We're going to talk about the idea of commandment to love. We're going to talk about deceivers and antichrist. And then we're going to talk about an abiding in truth. The commandment to love there in verse uh, 4, he says this in that passage. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth, just as commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing a new commandment, the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is his commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So this is kind of odd here. He's talking about some lady and children and all of this. And people have made some weird accusations about that. It's pretty easy to figure out what's going on here. Um, who is John talking to in this section? Who's the lady? Well, based on the whole uh, letter here that he's writing in Second John, it's not a specific lady, but it's the way that he's addressing this specific church. See, throughout the Bible, Jesus is called the Lord, and the church is his lady. And so who are the children of the church? We are. That would be us, the children he's talking about here, the members of that church. Notice that he said some in the very first verse. John, John is saying that some people in the church are walking in truth, which would mean they're walking the way that God has called us to live, but it also means, and some are not. Some are diligent in reading God's truth, depending on his work that he did on the cross, and others really don't care and are doing it their own way and doing it on their own. So how can you tell? Well, the first thing he said is the idea that you can tell, and he said this over and over again, you can tell by their love. Now, here's the problem. and Even in the church, we mistake the idea of loving somebody for being nice. This doesn't mean being nice to people. You can hate people and be nice to them, right? Love requires sacrifice and contribution to each other. It means loving people enough to be honest with them, confronting them, seeking out their needs and forgiving them instead of being resentful to them. When's the last time you asked somebody, in our church what they needed. When's the last time that you sacrificially gave by way of either time or money to another person in our church? When's the last time you got irritated with somebody in our church and actually talked to them about it? If it's been a while, John's saying that's a problem. And these are the little things that creep in that cause division in the church. See, John is happy to know that some of the church's children are doing this. It's a command to love and the pathway for life. And we're called to walk this path. The command to love one another. But it's also the command to believe in Jesus as we learn from 1 John, which brings us to our second point here. Look at this. Deceivers and Antichrist. Like I said, John's not talking about some big Antichrist outside the church in any part of his letters here in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, he's talking about antichrist, plural. And we've already looked at this before. He's generally not talking about people outside the church. Look at this verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out in the world who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such one is the deceiver and antichrist. Watch yourself so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. So the second concern he has is not just that people are not... Um, loving each other on a deep level, but there's people that are coming as a threat within the church that are false teachers. Along the pathway of our trying to do things and love each other, there are deceivers that will undermine our community over time. I've seen it time and time again. The church is happening time and time again in various churches. 
But here's the thing. It's not just these false teachers that are up here in the pulpit or in Sunday school or telling people in the church what to believe that's wrong. That's not, that's not the only thing that he's talking about here. Think about the context of what he's already been talking about. See, he's talking about any time there's actions that are anti-Jesus, you're being deceived. See, anytime you and I avoid doing the right thing compared to doing it God's way or whatever we want to do, we are deceivers. Whether we're deceiving ourselves or others, we are the Antichrist. The people against Jesus. See, like I said, the threat doesn't just come from individuals that have these certain beliefs that they're trying to propagate. But they all have actions that they're trying not to do or try to do that are anti-Jesus. He tells the church ahead of time that deceivers are out there threatening the children, trying to get them off path all the time. Just knowing ahead of time and being grounded in the Word of God and figuring out not only what we believe about Jesus, but also how we should act. Those are the things that are going to protect us and ward against that. See, as we said, every church is a lady of the Lord Jesus. Every church has children that are members of that. Pastors and leaders and teachers of the church, like me, are supposed to imitate the true bridegroom Jesus who gave, out his, gave his life down instead of letting the bride be seduced by these people that are, that are trying to do things and say things that are opposite of who Christ is. So how can, how, how can this be done? What, what do we do about this? He talked about these things that we've got to love deeply. And we've also got to be careful about um, deception and antichrist, even if it means that we're being the deceiver of antichrist and repent of those. Look at verse, I mean, uh, uh, point three. Look at how abide in truth. It says verse nine, everyone that goes ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him, take part in his wicked ways. This is one of those verses in the Bible that I have heard twisted in a lot of weird ways. Here's the thing. Yes, we do have to keep our distance from the deceivers. John is forbidding the lady, right? He's, he's addressing the church from welcoming false teachers into the house of God and from even giving these people approval or blessings and greeting. It's consistent with what we said before. Yes, you love each other, but true love guards against people in error like parents would do their children and like brothers and sisters do for each other. Guarding against error. But here's where a lot of people get this wrong. John's not talking to each one of us as individuals. Meaning, John is not saying, listen, if you find out somebody's a heretic in your mind, or the Mormons show up, or the Jehovah Witnesses show up, you can't let them in their house. That's not what he's talking about there. You don't start slamming the faces of that. That's not what he's talking about. Matter of fact, in the Bible, far from that, we're always called to invite people in that are strangers and show them hospitality to unbelievers and those people. Uh, and so, what does John mean here? So what is he really getting at? He's saying the church cannot encourage the teaching of false teachers and give them a platform in the church. We don't give people that are doing wrong actions and teaching wrong things the approval in our church. For instance, when we come up soon, with, with elders in our church, with churches like ours do work in elders over time, we appoint elders in our church. If we know they have a false belief, we cannot, we cannot allow them 
to be a leader in our church. We can't sit there and approve of that in that way. We're to love them. We're asking to turn from their false teaching, but we don't give them that approval. Now, besides all these practical points that we talked about, loving each other, being honest enough with each other to confront each other, uh, and, be, and, uh, and, and loving on each other to hold each other accountable, the things that we talked about in calling out false teaching and false practices in our church, protecting against that, protecting one another, all the practical things that John has talked about here. I want to show you a bigger picture of what he's really getting at. And I'm going to end with this. The overall goal, the why behind everything that he's talking about is when he gives instructions to the lady, the church, is to prepare her for the coming of her husband. Jesus the Lord is preparing the bride to be ready for the bridegroom. A few months ago, I officiated my daughter's wedding, and it had all the beautiful elements of a wedding where the, the, the bridegroom the bridegroom's waiting, and the bride's coming down, and he sees her, and he lovingly looks at her, and she comes up, and, and she looks beautiful, and then they take vows to protect and cherish and all these things. I mean, think about it. The next letter that John's going to write is Revelation, and if you don't come into Revelation understanding that it is a story. It is a letter of the return of a king that ends in a wedding and a wedding feast, and then you really don't get Revelation even close. See, this is the lady meeting her bridegroom, and she's a bride, and she's spotless, and she's beautiful, and she's stunning. Why? Because Jesus is telling us what John's talking about here. He's going to great effort to cover her in this righteousness and to protect her from defilement. And, and it's just not about warnings, but resting in the work that he did. See, our church and other churches that strive to cling to both truth and love are preparing for a wedding. We're getting ready for a wedding feast. These, this is why all this matters. In the same way little girls and young ladies dream of these fairy tale weddings, we should all long for this and keep sight that the only way to keep all of these things in and for them not to become duty and drudgery is to understand that love and fall into that loving relationship of setting your eyes on the bridegroom, focusing on Jesus. And he will make these things not just drudgery, but give you direction in life. And as you meditate on his love for you and what he did on the earth by way of laying down his life so that you can be in a relationship with the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, then everything we talked about today is not about what you have to do, but what you want to do. What you want to do as the bride for the bridegroom in your individual life, yes, but also in our church. Pray that God will protect us in the days to come. Pray that we'll learn to love him like a, a bridegroom loves a, a, a bride and vice versa. Help us, like pray that we'll be Jesus to one another. Pray for people like me that stand in front of you and proclaim truth. I need it. Be in your word. Be in your Bible. Be on guard. I need you to do that, to hold me accountable and love me enough in that way and to love each other. And when we do, this is going to be something that, that, that Jesus is glorified in and we're going to make an impact on the community, not just in some numbers way, but of being the hands and feet of Jesus and the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, for the reminder today from Ethan how big your kingdom is and where it goes. Lord, challenge us um, to go there not just 
geographically, but with each other as we understand how desperate and needy and broken that we all are. Lord, uh, protect us. Help us to love each other. Encourage one another. Help us not to become passive aggressive or resentment build into our church that, that divides, but help us to love each other, to be honest and, and open and receive those criticisms. And it's not easy. It's messy and awkward. But Lord, you are going to be with us in all of that. And we can't, we don't have the luxury and we have, are obligated to do those things to show how much we love you, we love others, and that we love the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseapres.org or check us out on Facebook.